Hello and welcome to the podcast Buffy and the Art of Story Season 4. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we are talking about Something Blue, Season 4, Episode 9, where Willow casts a spell that unknowingly endangers all her friends. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. If you enjoy supernatural thrillers or traditional detective mysteries, you can find the first in each of my series free at lisalilly.com slash As to something blue, in particular, today we'll talk about which plot is the main plot, protagonists and antagonists, ways in which this episode is similar to Beer Bad, whether our key characters are acting in character or out of character, and whether that depends on if they are under a spell, and themes of romance and grief. There are no spoilers except at the end when I talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Something Blue aired the first time on November 30, 1999. It was written by Tracy Forbes. It was directed by Nick Mark. We start as we should with an opening conflict. This conflict is there to draw in the viewer or reader. Here it relates either to the main plot or subplot, depending how we look at it, of Willow casting a spell that goes wrong. We see photos of Willow and Oz together. Willow sits on the bed in Oz's darkened dorm room. She picks up one of his t-shirts and puts it to her face to smell, looking sad. We cut to the next scene, which relates to the other plot or subplot here of Buffy sorting through her romantic relationships. At 1 minute 5 seconds in, in contrast to the dark dorm room, we're now in the student lounge. There's lots of light and ambient noise. Buffy sees Riley tacking up a Lesbian Alliance banner and asks if there's something he needs to tell her. Riley says, oh, yes, I am a lesbian. Buffy says, well, it's good that you're so open about it. As they're talking, he says something about remember how we were talking about having a picnic and goes on to describe a location he thinks she'll like, tells her they could have sandwiches and maybe some ants. Buffy doesn't remember talking about that, though, and Riley says, oh, was that a conversation I actually had or one I was just practicing? Riley admits talking to Buffy is sometimes hard, like an oral exam. She's tricky. Buffy's not too thrilled to be compared to an oral exam, but he says he never knows how she's going to react to something. This is a nice bit of conflict that gives us foreshadowing for later and maybe is why Riley will believe Buffy's explanation at the end about her telling him she was engaged to a guy named Spike. Riley goes on to tell Buffy it's why he likes her so much, she's a mystery, and then he says, probably every beautiful girl in the world has some jerk telling her she's a mystery, but I swear you really are. There's a lot about you that needs puzzling out. 
Buffy gazes at him without saying anything and Riley asks if he lost her somewhere. Buffy says, right around beautiful. And Riley responds, say, don't you just love a picnic? Riley in this scene strikes me as honest and self-aware and vulnerable. He's both nervous about talking to Buffy but he's confident enough to admit that. I feel like we're supposed to like Riley here, and I do. Buffy, in contrast, feels off to me in that the word beautiful stuns her so much or impresses her so much that she doesn't say anything. Sarah Michelle Gellar, definitely beautiful, but Buffy as a character hasn't struck me as being someone that if a guy tells her she's beautiful, it blows her away. It feels sort of generic and not specific to Buffy. The next scene, though, is very Buffy. At three minutes in, we're in the graveyard at night. Buffy and Willow are talking. Buffy says it's just different with Riley. First, a picnic. Daylight, kind of a new venue for Buffy. And the best part is Riley is bringing the food. And Buffy goes on, so all I have to do is show up and eat. Those are two things I'm really good at. Answering Willow's questions, Buffy says, yes, Riley is nice. There's sparkage. She likes being around him and thinks he cares about her. But she continues, but I just feel like something's missing. And Willow says, he's not making you miserable? Buffy responds, exactly. Riley seems so solid, like he wouldn't cause me heartache. Willow responds, get out. Get out while there's still time. Buffy agrees she knows she has to get away from that bad boy thing. Seeing Angel in L.A. even for five minutes, hello to the pain. This confirms both that Buffy does not consciously remember what happened in I Will Remember You, but I think it also supports the theory I advanced that on some level she does, that that visit was so painful to her, more so than the five minutes might cost her. They keep walking and Buffy says, but I can't help thinking, isn't that where the fire comes from? And she continues, I know it's nuts, but part of me believes that real love and passion have to go hand in hand with fighting. A vampire jumps out, Buffy stakes it and finishes, wonder where I get that from? And we cut to the credits. So Buffy has raised the central internal conflict for her in this episode, which is do you need that type of conflict and pain to have real love and passion? And it is one of the themes this episode explores. Also, she said, wonder where I get that from at 4 minutes 42 seconds in, which is often where we see the story spark or inciting incident. That is the event or moment that sets the main plot rolling. And usually it happens 10% through an episode, a novel, a movie. Sometimes you can set your watch by it. In in Buffy, it's been shifting around a bit, particularly in this season, but it does make me think that perhaps this intertwining in Buffy's mind of love, drama, fighting, and her commenting that she needs to get over the bad boy thing is the main plot here. And we get a little more evidence of that because when we return from the credits, we go to Spike. 
handcuffed in Giles' bathtub. Buffy is questioning him about when he was caught by the military or commando guys, as they call them. And Spike claims he didn't see any of their faces and he doesn't know where the lab was. Buffy is frustrated and Spike wants the telly to be turned on. And there's a television sitting on a stand where he can see it from the bathtub. Giles appears in the doorway with a mug of blood. And Spike says it's about time. He hopes it's warm. Buffy takes the mug. It has a straw in it and sighs as she leans over so Spike can drink from it. And she makes a face when he slurps. And Spike says, I don't know why you're so dainty all of a sudden. You've done this for Angel. You must have. Buffy yanks the mug away, tells him the kitchen's closed until he remembers something useful about the commandos. And Spike responds, I'm trying to remember. It was very traumatic. It comes out that Spike is worried that once he tells them what they want to know, he won't live very long. Giles reassures him that they would not hurt a harmless creature, but they can't let him go unless they're sure he's impotent. Spike doesn't love that word, and Giles apologizes for choosing it, and Buffy suggests flaccid. Spike tells her, you are one step away, Missy. And Buffy says, Giles, help, he's gonna scold me. When Spike complains about getting pig's blood in a novelty mug, which by the way says, kiss the librarian, which I love, Buffy taunts Spike by showing him her neck, pointing out the pulsing veins with the warm blood. Giles rolls his eyes and leaves. In the living room, Giles talks to Willow, who is there researching, and says, if those two don't kill each other, I might lend a hand. Willow suggests they try a truth spell on Spike. She volunteers to stop by the magic shop for supplies and bring them over in the morning. Going to Buffy's plot, we have that internal conflict of the bad boy issue and we have an external conflict where she is trying to get information from Spike. And this is why I think that for her plot, Spike is the antagonist. The antagonist has one job to actively push against the protagonist and block her from her goals. So if our main plot is Buffy trying to get information from Spike, which serves as a vehicle for her to work through her emotional questions about love and bad boys and passion, Spike is the one who is pushing against both of those. He represents the bad boy and I see more spark between them than we have seen with her and Riley. Also, he is thwarting her need to get information from him and get him out of Giles' apartment and her life. In the next scene, Buffy gives Spike blood in the mug. Giles joins them, tells them Willow had a good idea, and comments that she seems to be coping better with Oz's departure. Buffy agrees, and Spike says, what are you people, blind? She's hanging on by a thread. This fits Spike as we've seen him. He has good insights into people. He also has some affinity with Willow, and he offered to turn Willow into a vampire if he killed her, and I doubt very much he would make that offer to Buffy from what we have seen so far. At 8 minutes 40 seconds in, we cut to Willow. 
She enters Oz's room and the bed has been stripped. The lamp over it is gone. The chest of drawers is empty. She looks devastated. We cut to her lying on her own bed in pajamas in tears, telling Buffy that Devin said Oz sent for his stuff. She guesses it means he's settling somewhere. And the scene ends with Willow saying, Oz is gone. This could be a one-quarter turn, the first major plot turn in Willow's plot, which is Willow trying to deal with and get over her pain. Because until this point, we now realize she has had some hope that Oz will not be gone very long. And now it really hits her. At 9 minutes 42 seconds in, the sun rises. Spike is still in the bathtub still chained and struggling to reach the television and he yells to Giles that Passions is on and Timmy's down a bloody well. Giles is on the phone in the other room leaving a message for Willow. He thought she was bringing the ingredients for the spell and she hasn't shown up and he really wants to try the spell. He wants to shower sometime today alone. At 10 minutes 21 seconds in, we switch to Riley and Buffy. They sit on a blanket outside for their picnic. She is shocked that he drives for fun, and he's surprised she doesn't drive at all. She says she took the class, but Cars and Buffy are like unmixy things, a reference to band candy. He tells her she just hasn't had a good experience yet, and he starts describing how driving feels, which morphs into what sounds like a metaphor for sex and Buffy says we are talking about driving right Riley responds I thought I was Willow wanders over looking very sad she apologizes for interrupting and is about to leave but Riley tells her wait sit down with them the conversation dies away and Willow says your apples are turning brown the way they do. It's a great line that shows Willow's emotional state. And I like Riley here too because he cares about Willow and wants her to be okay. At 12 minutes 22 seconds in, we cut to upbeat music at the bronze. Another great contrast between two scenes. Buffy, Xander, and Anya are talking about Oz sending for his stuff and how he never even called Willow. Xander says, God, poor Will. No wonder she's having a wonderful time. He has spotted Willow on the dance floor. Now she joins them, seeming very upbeat. But it turns out she has been drinking a lot of beer. Both Buffy and Xander are pretty judgmental here about Willow drinking. Buffy reminds her how that worked out for her, a reference to beer bad, which seems unfair to me because as I talked about in that episode and listener Roberta Lip commented, the problem really wasn't beer. It was beer that was cursed. Willow won't hand over her beer. She tells them she has big time pain and she gets angry when Xander pushes her on that and makes fun of him still living in his parents' basement. Buffy says she's taking Willow home and Willow will thank her when she still has a friend in the morning. Willow drops her perkiness and says, I just can't stand feeling this way. I want it to be over. Willow wants to know, isn't there a way to make it go away just because she says so and asks, can I just make 
make it go poof. So we are well past the one quarter point in the episode. We are getting past the one third point. Usually before this, we would see that first major plot turn I mentioned. It should come from outside the protagonist, spin the story in a new direction, and raise the stakes. And we haven't seen that for Buffy's plot or Willow's plot, though Willow's drinking is a bit of a change. Now, though, we will see an event that turns both plots. It does come from outside Buffy, so if we see her as the protagonist of the main plot, this would fit. It is not outside Willow. It definitely raises the stakes, though, for both of them as it puts everyone in great danger. At 15 minutes in, Willow can't sleep and she gets out her magic supplies. Surrounded by candles in a tiled bathroom area, she does a spell that talks about controlling the outside, controlling within, and that she wants her will to be done. All the candle flames go higher at once and there are flashing lights suggesting something has happened. But at 16 minutes, 10 seconds in, we cut to Willow. It's daytime now. She sits alone on her bed in front of a mirror, saying things like, it is my will that my heart be healed now, and trying to affect other things in the room, and nothing happens each time. Giles knocks on the door. She tells him to come in without checking to see who it is. So either she didn't learn anything from the spike incident, or this is another sign of how depressed Willow is. She is not paying attention. Giles is there because he's concerned about her, and Willow asks if Buffy told him about the beer, and he says no. Willow responds, we'll forget the beer part then. Giles says, happily, I came because we had an appointment the other day. Willow remembers about the truth spell. And when Giles gently chides her, saying he knows it's a difficult time, but she shouldn't shirk her responsibilities, she tells him she didn't shirk. She did the research, she got the ingredients, but she forgot to bring them over. And she confides she's been feeling off. She tried a spell to have her will done, but nothing. Giles looks alarmed. He doesn't think that's wise. Her energies are too unfocused. And Willow responds, well, that's not true. I said I was off, not incompetent. Giles tells her he only meant that she's grieving and it might be better to take a break from spells without supervision. Of all our key characters, I feel Giles is the most consistent, the most uh, himself in how he handles things with Willow. I believe he would say these things, that he's doing it out of concern, not quite realizing how this will hit Willow. While Buffy and Xander throughout this episode, and we'll see more of it later, strike me as out of character and surprisingly unsympathetic to Willow. Willow, who is not in a good place, does not react well to Giles. Maybe he could have left out that supervision part. And she says she feels like she's being punished because she's in pain. Giles tells her it's not punishment. He's only saying it because, and Willow cuts him off and says, oh, you care. Yeah, everybody cares, but nobody wants to be inconvenienced. You all want me to take the time and go through the pain as long as you don't have to hear about it anymore. 
This is another theme I see in the episode. I'm not sure if it's intentional or not, but it resonates with me that when you're going through grief, on the one hand, particularly in the U.S., our culture gives lip service to the idea that it takes time to get over things. But most people, in my experience, expect you to be over things fairly quickly to get over it and get back to normal and do the things you always did. Friends often push you to get over it because it's hard for them. They feel for you and they want you to get better so they feel better. And that can be a real weight on the grieving person. Willow and Giles keep arguing and Giles says he sees what Willow means, but Willow answers, no, you don't. You say that you do, but you don't see anything. We close up on Willow's face on those last few words, and there is a bit of a whooshing, a sound effect, and Giles looks a bit stunned. He takes off his glasses, rubs his eyes, and says they'll talk later. As he leaves, he bumps into someone in the hall. So now we are at 18 minutes, 40 seconds in. Giles is trying the spell on his own in the living room. Spike, chained on the couch, is not too keen on it, and he warns Giles that spells tend to be unpredictable, thus cueing the audience, if we didn't already get it, that this spell of Willow's will likely go very wrong. Giles struggles to read the text. He cleans his glasses. As he does, the key drops out of his pocket. Spike gets the key under his heel and very quietly drags it toward him as he tells Giles he doesn't want him doing a spell if he can't read and continues, you could turn me into a stink beetle or whatnot. Giles says, it'd be a generous ending for you, Spike. Spike gets the cuffs unlocked and the chains off. He pushes past Giles, shoving him, doesn't seem to have any pain from that chip in his head, and runs out. At 19 minutes, 43 seconds in, Willow is in her room petting Amy the rat and talking to Buffy about what Giles said to her. At first, Buffy does seem pretty sympathetic, and she tells Willow, well, spells can be dangerous, and that's all Giles meant, not that she is a bad witch. But Willow says she's kidding herself. If she were good at witchcraft, if she had real power, she could have made Oz stay. Buffy tells her she wouldn't have wanted to keep him that way, but Willow goes on. She didn't have the guts to do that spell on Veruca, and her I will it so spell went nowhere. They're both on the edge of Willow's bed. Their backs are to Amy the rat, who Willow says has access to powers Willow can't even invoke. And Willow goes on, I mean, first she's a perfectly normal girl. Behind her, the rat turns into Amy, who looks around, shocked and pleased, and Willow continues, then poof, she's a rat. And Amy turns back into the rat as Willow says, I could never do something like that. If you are a writer or storyteller, you might find 
the writing craft book I am almost finished with helpful. The working title is How to Overcome Writer's Block So You Can Start Your Novel. It'll have three parts. The first one is getting your novel started, and it includes things like finding and choosing ideas, creating space in your life for writing, and whether or not you need an outline. Spoiler, it depends. The second part is keeping the ball rolling, which covers understanding how to motivate yourself, getting your unconscious mind to help you so that when you sit down to write, your fingers can fly over the keyboard, and staying excited during the middle of your story. And the third part is crossing the finish line, where I share ways to write while dealing with the fears, hopes, and other things that might be getting in your way. It is not available yet as I'm recording this, but I hope it will be out in the next few weeks and I will let you know. The phone rings. It's Giles. Spike has escaped. Willow is surprised that Buffy is leaving to deal with it. Spike can't hurt anyone, and Willow was hoping for a girl's night. Buffy seems really impatient here, uncharacteristically so, and says, Will, I can't hang out with you until I get Spike back to Giles. You know that. She kind of talks to Willow like Willow is a child, but she does promise she'll be back as soon as she can. We're now nearing the halfway point of the story. This is where I look for either the protagonist to make a major commitment or to suffer a major reversal. In a very strongly structured story, typically we will see this and it gives the plot a lot of momentum. Here we have to wait until a bit later. We are around 21 minutes in when Willow says, I don't see the big. He's probably just standing out there. You'll find him in two seconds. There's a flash and Spike is standing on the lawn outside the dorm as Buffy exits. And Buffy says, thought that was going to take longer. And Spike responds, me too, must have got turned around. He claims he's looking for the commando's lab, but it's not where he thought it was. He scrabbles at the lawn and the dirt and yells at them to let him in. Buffy tells him to cut the act. They hit each other and Spike, this time, howls in pain, both when Buffy hits him and when he hits her. It's 22 minutes 57 seconds in and we cut to Giles putting eye drops in. Buffy drags Spike into his apartment and they're bickering and Buffy says, Giles, I accidentally killed Spike. That's okay, right? Willow is in Xander's basement and tells him she's going through something. You'd think once in a while Buffy could make her best friend a priority. But Xander tells her it's not like Buffy can just let Spike go. At Giles, Buffy and Spike keep fighting. He tells her if this spell gets reversed, referring to the chip, they'll be finding her body for weeks. She leans close to him, tells him to make a move. She's dying for a good sleigh. Xander tells Willow that Buffy needs to find out what's up with the commando, so she needs Spike. Now we get to the major reversal for Buffy, because at 23 minutes, 16 seconds in, Willow says, well, fine. Why doesn't she just go marry him? And we cut to Giles, who walks into his living room, telling Spike and Buffy to try to remain civil. But Spike is on his knees, Buffy sitting in a chair, and she says, it's just so sudden. 
As Giles blinks in confusion, Buffy says yes to Spike. They embrace and kiss. She's wearing his skull ring, which she waves at Giles and says, Giles, you'll never believe what's happened. I said this was a reversal for Buffy. That certainly is true for her plot of getting past the bad boy thing, because now she is engaged to the bad boy of the episode. In terms of getting information from Spike, that part of the plot shifts, and we don't see her trying to get that info now that she is enamored of Spike. And so maybe that is a reversal there too because she's no longer focusing on her goal. Xander tries to comfort Willow, telling her it'll get better, and he also says she'll meet someone else. Willow disagrees and says no relationships work out. They're all doomed. And when Xander argues with her, she says, oh yeah, let's look at your bio, insect lady, mummy girl, Anya. You're a demon magnet. And we get that sound effect that tells us the spell has kicked in. Xander says, hey, I was just trying to help. At 24 minutes, 32 seconds in, Giles is leaving another message for Willow. He tells her he can't see. Everything's blurred. He's sure it's a spell because, well, something else is going wrong. In the living room area, Buffy gives Spike blood in a mug, tells him it's perfect 98.6, sits on his lap and kisses him, and Giles finishes horribly wrong. Spike and Buffy talk about the wedding ceremony. She wants it to be in the daytime, but under the leaves, indirect light only. Spike tells her she might as well register as Mr. and Mrs. Big Pile of Dust. They bicker more and kiss more. Giles is not happy. Buffy goes over and tells him she knows he doesn't approve. And her father's not that far away, but she goes on, this day's about family, my real family, and I would like you to be the one to give me away. Despite his fading vision and the craziness, Giles is deeply touched and he starts to tell her so, then collects himself and says it's nonsense. Something is making her act this way. Spike tells Buffy it'll take a bit of time for Giles to get used to it, that's all. And Buffy says it'll take her friends time as well, but it took them time to get used to Angel too. This sets off another argument. Spike's angry she mentioned Angel. Why don't they register for gifts where Angel would have registered. Buffy tells him she lives under the shadow of Drusilla. Doesn't he know she wonders if he'll be thinking of Drew when he and Buffy are making love. They kiss again. Giles grimaces, reaches for his glass of scotch, but knocks it over and tells them he's completely blind and that it's a spell. Buffy assures him they'll fix it. Spike says they need a general reversal spell. Giles is shocked Spike's going to help, but Spike says it's almost like Giles is his father-in-law now. And Buffy says from now on, they're a family. She and Spike kiss again and Giles says, it's all right, I have more scotch. At 28 minutes, seven seconds in, Buffy leaves the magic shop, sees a bridal shop across the street, and entranced, goes over to gaze at the mannequins in the window. Riley sees her and she asks him, aren't the dresses beautiful? He says yes, but maybe a little dressy for school. Buffy tells Riley 
he means a lot to her. She wants him to promise they can always be friends. She tells him she wants him to be there on the day and then explains she's getting married and it's crazy. They fought for all these years, but she says, sometimes you just look at someone and you know, you know? Riley doesn't know. He's confused. Buffy says, you'll really like him. And then goes on, well, nobody really likes him. I don't even really like him, but I love him. I do. Riley says, who? And she tells him, Spike. Riley, stunned, asks if Spike goes to college there. And Buffy says, oh, no, he's totally old. Not as old as my last boyfriend was. Riley leaves, though Buffy wants to talk more. Standing there alone on the sidewalk, she says, you're ruining my happy day. It's a bit early, but that scene may have been the three-quarter turn, the last major plot turn. It should grow from the midpoint and spin the story in yet another new direction. So in terms of Buffy's internal conflict about bad boys, this could be that spin because telling Riley she's engaged to Spike definitely changes things. Also, it just hit me that this last conversation highlights why I'm not quite sure I buy the idea that Buffy was attracted to Angel because of the the fighting and the conflict and the bad boy thing and the passion. Because when she says that about Spike, she says, nobody likes him. I don't even like him, but I love him. And I don't think that that applies to Angel. So if that was a three-quarter turn as to the internal conflict, it is not one for Willow's part of the plot. It doesn't change anything for her. We cut to Xander and Anya in the basement. Xander tells Anya about Willow being upset and that he shouldn't have let her go away. Mad. Anya says they just got rid of Xander's mom, who was trying to give them snacks, and it's time for just the two of them. But of course, a demon breaks down the door from outside. They fight it off with a clothesline and a baseball bat and finally shove it into the water in the laundry sink. But another demon immediately bursts in through the window and they run. At 31 minutes, 41 seconds in, we cut to Buffy playing with a little bride and groom figurine and humming the wedding march. Dum, dum, da, dum. I don't think it's a mistake that she sang dum, dum, dum. Giles is irritated they aren't focusing on curing him, but she tells him the shop was missing an ingredient and she'll go back tomorrow. Spike doesn't like the toy groom. He looks too human. Buffy says they can smear some red paint on its mouth, the blood of the innocent. She wants to know if on the invitations, Spike wants to be William the Bloody or just Spike, but either way, it will look majorly weird. Spike responds, where is the name Buffy gives it that touch of classic elegance? Buffy says, what's wrong with Buffy? And Giles says, huh, such a good question. Buffy says her mother gave her that name. Spike scoffs, yeah, she's a real genius. Quick aside, I don't buy that. 
because we have already seen that Spike likes Joyce. And this is where I took a moment to look up what else Tracy Forbes wrote and saw it was only three episodes, Beer Bad, Something Blue, and Where the Wild Things Are. And I have to think that for writers who just come in for a few episodes, especially only in this season, so she didn't write any in previous seasons, they can't possibly be as grounded in the characters as our regular writers are. So probably she didn't know how Joyce and Spike really connected previously and that Spike really likes Joyce. At 32 minutes, 49 seconds in, Anya and Xander burst in. They tell everyone to barricade the doors. Xander is shocked that Spike is untied. Buffy tells him to calm down and says maybe the demons following them relate to Giles being blind. Anya asks why Buffy and Spike are holding hands, and very excited, Buffy tells them that she and Spike are getting married. One of the things I love in this episode is the dialogue, both the lines themselves and the way the actors deliver them, and the next exchange is a great example, because on hearing that Spike and Buffy are getting married, Xander says, How? What? How? And Giles says, Three excellent questions. Spike and Buffy kiss again, and Xander says, Can I be blind too? Wait. Married. I know something. What is it? Everything's so familiar. Work, brain, work. He figures out it's related to Willow and her griefy poor me mood swings, which Xander says he's so, so tired of. And Anya says, I don't have to be nice about it anymore. And Buffy says, well, we're all tired of it, but what does it have to do with what's going on? This is the worst that Xander and Buffy are about Willow's grief. I want to think it is partly this spell. I really hope so. Xander tells them about Willow saying he's a demon magnet and talking about why doesn't Spike just marry Buffy. And Giles says that, yes, he remembers her saying he didn't see anything and tells them it must be Willow's Her Will Be Done spell. Buffy agrees, saying it affected all of them, but she must be immune because she's the slayer. And Xander responds that, sure, she's marrying Spike because they're so right for each other. Spike tells Xander he's off the usher list. Giles reminds them that Willow's out there and probably doesn't know her spell is working. And they agree they need to find her before somebody gets hurt. That scene feels more like the major plot turn in the Buffy plot, though it is late, because this really spins the story we switch to finding Willow and reversing the spell. The next scene feels like the three-quarter turn, the last major plot turn in Willow's subplot, because at 34 minutes, 52 seconds in, Willow walks into her dorm room and a demon grabs her from behind. There's lightning everywhere and flashing lights, and we cut to a commercial. When we return, Xander, Spike, and Buffy are heading for Willow's dorm room. Xander complains about Spike being there. Buffy tells him get used to it. Spike's going to be her husband. Spike's not thrilled with working with the Scoobies either. And when Buffy tells him it's kind of her job, he says, for now. Buffy can't believe it. Does he really want her to stop working? And Spike says, uh, let's see. Do I want you to give up killing my friends? Yeah, I've given it some thought. 
They find a scorched circle in the dorm room. Anya says to Hoffren, opened a portal and tells them he's the one who made demon, made Anya a demon 1100 years ago. Spike makes fun of one of Buffy's skirts and she says, shut up, honey. Buffy asks why Toffrin would attack Willow and Anya doesn't think he did. At 35 minutes, 40 seconds in, we cut to Toffrin telling Willow her pain is like a scream that pierces dimensional walls. And he says, we heard your call. Hall. Willow apologizes, saying she'll try for a quiet rage, but he tells her he doesn't want to squash her potential, quite the contrary. Anya explains to the others that she had been doing some minor vengeance spells on her own, nothing serious, just like boils on a penis. Xander urges her to get to the point, and she says Tahafran found her and offered to elevate her to be a demon. Buffy starts asking if Anya can summon Dahafren, but switches gears to gush over a crypt with vines on it that she thinks will be perfect for the wedding pictures. Spike says he's not posing for any pictures. Xander points out another demon that is after them. It's convenient there haven't been any demon attacks between Xander's basement and now. Maybe Giles has magic anti-demon repellent around his apartment. Buffy is determined to fight the demon without destroying the foliage for the photos. Once she kills that demon, another and another attack. They run into the crypt. Put a heavy coffin in front of the door as Anya draws a circle in the dirt and starts an incantation with Blessed Be Dehofren. At 37 minutes, 27 seconds in, Dehofren tells Willow the suffering she's brought on those she loves has been inspired and Willow is puzzled. We cut to our friends fighting. Anya can't remember all the words to the incantation and starts over. Spike tells Buffy these demons are strong. He's not sure if he can can protect her if they all get in. And Buffy says, you think you have to protect me? And Spike says, oh, not with the girl power bit. We are almost at the climax. And as I was going through my outline, which I first create while I rewatch the episode, and then I go through and flesh it out and add comments before I record, this is where I gave some serious thought to which is the main plot here, Buffy's plot or Willow's plot. So I think it is Buffy's plot mainly because we spend the most time on Buffy. And that's part of why I also see her as the protagonist. First, both Buffy and Willow have goals they pursue. Buffy actively pursues her goal of getting information from Spike, but then she gets derailed when she becomes engaged to him. But that serves her internal goal, which she had from the beginning of sorting out this question about love and passion and does there have to be pain and conflict with it and getting over the bad boy. Though you could argue she didn't actively pursue that from the beginning, but she did have that external goal. Willow has a goal of getting rid of her pain, and she actively pursues that in some ways more actively than Buffy. 
The second part of who is the protagonist is what character is the main point of view character. And we definitely get the most from Buffy's point of view. We get a fair amount about Willow, but the main part of what we see is Buffy. And then the last question to see who is the protagonist is who has the most at stake. an announcement about the podcast schedule. First, thank you to those of you who have been listening and especially have been patrons since the beginning in November 2019. Since then, I have become more efficient about the time it takes to put together each episode, but as you can imagine, there is a fair amount involved. I really like this format, being able to truly dive into each episode, its story elements, sometimes its theme. And now that I've been doing it almost a year and a half, I feel like I've reached the point where I can't streamline the process very much more. In order to take less time, I would need to change the format of the episodes. You've probably noticed that some of the episodes are coming in a little over an hour. Doing that is not fitting with the rest of what I need to do, my other projects, and my other work. I do still teach and practice law, but I do want to keep this rich format. I do want to keep the content the same. So here is the plan going forward. I am shifting the Buffy and the Art of Story podcast to every other Monday instead of every Monday. That will allow me to keep presenting the type of content I have been doing and to finish all of season four this year with a couple crossover angel episodes. I hope that that will work for you as well, maybe give you more time to keep up with the episodes and digest the contents. As always, if you have any comments on them or on Buffy generally, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love for you to join the conversation. You can do that at Twitter at Lisa M. Lilly, that's L-I-S-A-M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, hashtag Buffy Story. You can comment where the podcast episodes live on my website at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Story. Or you can visit the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page and you can get there quickly through lisalilly.com slash Facebook. I also plan to put together and post a Buffy and the Art of Story podcast episode schedule on my site so you can find that at lisalilly.com slash Buffy schedule. If you want to look ahead and see when your favorite episode is coming or when I'll be doing those angel crossover episodes. Both Willow and Buffy have a lot at stake emotionally. In a sense of physical danger or external danger, that's a tougher one because of what Willow does. Buffy ends up potentially in greater danger. The demons are attacking. On the other hand, Buffy is in these types of situations quite often and manages to deal with them. And Willow, you can argue, is more immediately in danger in the sense that she is teetering on the verge of becoming 
becoming a vengeance demon, which is pretty high stakes. And we don't know at first, is this something de Hoffren will do regardless of what Willow wants? In the end, I have to go with Buffy as protagonist because we do spend the most time in her point of view. But Willow is definitely the protagonist in her own subplot, which raises the question of who is the antagonist there? It's not de Hoffren, since he's not pushing against Willow throughout the episode. There's no evidence that he becomes involved earlier than the time that we see him or not much earlier. He's more like an observer. It could be Willow's pain, that the pain of loss is the antagonist, or Willow herself as she struggles to deal with her pain. So as I said, we are reaching the climax. This is where our opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the conflict. At 38 minutes, five seconds in, all kinds of demons burst in. Everyone is fighting. Anya gives up on her spell and joins in too, and a demon corners Buffy. We switch to Willow. De Hoffren shows her what's happening, and she says she didn't mean to do it. And De Hoffren says, but you did. This is the result of your power. You will make a fine vengeance demon. But Willow tells him, please, it was a mistake. He has to help her friends. But he says Willow is his concern, not her friends. And we have some very ominous music. And Willow says, really, no offense intended. I mean, you've been super nice and everything, but I don't want to be a demon. I just want to go back and help my friends. DeHoffrin says, that is your answer? And Willow says, it is. And he says, I'm sorry to hear that. And the music crescendos, but all he says is, oh, well, and the music stops. And he tells her, here's my talisman. You change your mind, give us a chant. He waves a hand and we cut to the crypt. Things look dire. Buffy throws another demon out and then ignores Anya and Xander who are struggling to rush instead to Spike who has been thrown onto the floor. He's on his back. They kiss as Xander yells for help. At 39 minutes, 59 seconds in, lightning flashes and Willow appears. She says a four-line rhyming spell to break her will-be-done spell. There's more lightning. All the demons disappear. Buffy and Spike stop kissing and look appalled. We are transitioning right into the falling action part of the story. That is where we tie up loose ends and resolve any subplots. Spike and Buffy scurry in separate directions, both spitting, and Buffy says spike lips, lips of spike, with horror. All four of them look at Willow, who waves and says, Hi, guys. Now we cut to Willow taking a cookie sheet of fresh cookies out of Giles' oven. She tells Anya she'll keep making them until she doesn't feel so horribly guilty. And when Anya asks when that will be, Willow says, I figure about a million chips from now. Also, I have to detail Giles' car. Giles can see again, and he tells Willow when she tries to fool him that yes, he can see the cookies are not oatmeal, they're chocolate chip. And then he complains that he still needs his glasses. Couldn't she have been more specific? and asked for 2020 vision. Willow brings the tray of cookies to Buffy and says, eat a cookie, ease my pain. Spike is tied to a chair. He wants a cookie too. He still has the taste of Buffy in his mouth. She tells him he's gross and refuses to give him one. And he starts talking about how she wanted wind beneath my wings for the first dance. Everyone stares at Buffy. She claims it was the spell and Willow glares at Spike and shoves a cookie in his mouth. In the kitchen, 
Buffy and Willow talk alone. Willow again says she's sorry, and Buffy says, we may be into a forgetting spell later, and tells Willow she loved Spike. Willow comments at least they were getting along, but Buffy says they weren't. They were in love, but it was awful, and she says she's over the bad boy thing. She'd be, quote, happy to be in a nice relationship with a decent, reliable, oh my god, Riley thinks I'm engaged. Close quote. Buffy explains that she saw Riley and goes on, what the hell am I going to say to him? At 42 minutes, 35 seconds in, we cut to the lawn outside the university. Riley and Buffy are walking together, and Buffy says, you thought I was serious? Riley's not sure, but he thinks Buffy seemed serious, and she says, oh God, please, I'm marrying a guy named Spike. She claims she saw fear in Riley's eyes when he caught her looking at wedding dresses, and she had to give him a hard time. He thinks that's insane, but is happy that she's still single. And they finish with Riley saying, okay then, just another little piece of the Buffy puzzle. And Buffy says, you really have a lot to learn about women, Riley. And Riley responds, you're going to teach me. And we cut to credits. Those last two lines, like the one about Buffy being beautiful, seem pretty generic to me, so I don't enjoy them. I get that Buffy has to say something, so she's pretending to be a wacky woman, but this whole you're going to teach me about women thing just, just doesn't feel like it fits either of them. Looking at this episode as a whole, in some ways, it is similar to Beer Bad, which Tracy Forbes also wrote. Oddly, with Beer Bad, when I broke it down, I liked it better, at least many parts of it better. And with this episode, I usually have a great time watching it. And I discovered I had a little more trouble with it when I looked more closely. But in both of them, Buffy is struggling with her emotions and her view of romance. In Beer Bad, it was about Parker still thinking they could make it work, still wanting to make it work. And she finally recognizes what really happened. And in this one, it's obviously the passion, bad boy thing. In both episodes, she works through those internal conflicts while in the process of being under a spell. Also in both episodes, Willow is struggling with pain due to her relationship with Oz. It's fairly minor in Beer Bad. She's upset because she sees that Oz is attracted to Veruca. In this episode, it is major pain because he has left. There's also a theme of Willow helping Buffy deal with things, or at least trying to. In Beer Bad, Willow confronts Parker over how he treated Buffy. In this episode, it's because of her her spell that Buffy sees that this idea that there has to be a conflict and pain or that her relationship needs to be with a sort of enemy is not true. That is not what she wants. This is another way that the parallel to Angel doesn't quite work for me because yes, there was lots of fire and passion and conflict there, but unlike with Spike, when Buffy fell for Angel, he wasn't her enemy. That happened later. 
So that is it for this episode, other than foreshadowing. I hope you will stick around for that. Either way, thank you so much for listening. As I mentioned, I am shifting to an every other week schedule. So I hope you will come back on Monday, May 10th for Hush, where the gentlemen come to Sunnydale and no one can make a sound. And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. That lesbian alliance banner being hung right after we see Willow so lonely. Maybe a tiny bit of foreshadowing that Willow will now move to her next relationship and meet Tara. Spike's uh, yelling about wanting the telly on so he can see passions and Timmy's down a bloody well. He and Joyce in season five will bond over passions and I'm not positive but I'm pretty sure Timmy is still down that well I think Joyce says something like do you think Timmy will get out of the well but we'll see when we get there this episode clearly starts that ongoing season 4 season 5 idea that Riley and Buffy don't work because he's just such a nice guy and there's a more specific foreshadowing because Buffy calls him decent and reliable And Xander, in the episode where Riley leaves, will tell Buffy she has been treating Riley kind of like the the rebound guy, the convenient guy who's reliable, who will just always be there when she needs him, but will disappear when she doesn't. There's a little bit of foreshadowing of Riley's unhappiness as well when Dawn tells him in season five that she's so glad he's with Buffy because he doesn't make her crazy with Angel. It was all this angst and, oh, my boyfriend's a vampire and she's not like that over Riley. Riley will take that as a bad thing to mean that Buffy isn't passionate about him. And this is foreshadowed by Willow's, oh, what's missing is he's not making you crazy. I had to comment on Buffy saying to Spike, you think you have to protect me. So last week, and I will remember you in spoilers, I suggested maybe Spike was the only love interest who doesn't feel he has to protect Buffy. So now just to undermine my theory, he says this, I'm going with that is part of the spell because I don't think that we see that later on in the series. But maybe we will. I'll keep an eye out for that. I also think it's there because it is one of many moments throughout the episode while they are under the spell and engaged that Buffy and Spike just keep bickering and arguing and having conflict with one another. So the most major foreshadowing is Willow and how she deals with pain. In a couple ways, when Buffy tells her she wouldn't have wanted to make Oz stay through a spell, foreshadows season six where Willow will do that forgetting spell. And we also had a forgetting spell reference in this episode as a sort of aside, but Willow will do that spell to alter Tara's memory so Tara forgets that they're fighting and she does it to keep 
Tara with her. And then she does an even greater forgetting spell in Tabula Rasa to try to keep Tara. So it's kind of amazing to see that here, to see how early they laid the seeds for these character developments for Willow. And also the larger issue of Willow trying to deal with emotional pain through magic, which we'll see throughout season six. She turns to magic to either alter how she feels or alter the people around her. First, in response to what she learns after bringing Buffy back from the dead, seeing how depressed Buffy is, how much pain Buffy's going through, and feeling like she caused that. And then to deal with her pain over Tara breaking up with her and Tara's death. So all of that is foreshadowed here. And we have seen that gradual build with Willow starting as far back as trying to cast a de-lusting spell for her and Xander in season three, and then trying the spell to deal with Veruca, and now the spell to make her pain go away by doing her own will. This all makes me think that the writers did know where Willow's arc was going, but I, I don't know if it was purposeful putting in that little reference to a forgetting spell. So I find that really intriguing. I wish there had been some commentary on it. That is it for this episode. Thank you again for listening and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. As I mentioned, I am shifting to an every other week schedule, so I hope you will come back on Monday, May 10th for Hush, where a large part of the episode has no dialogue at all, and it is the only Buffy episode nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Writing. If you're enjoying Buffy and the Art of Story, please write a review, share it on social media, or tell a friend. You can also support the podcast on Patreon and get access to bonus content, including Q&As about Buffy and about writing, a breakdown of the pilot episode of Jessica Jones, and a story analysis of the first episode of Angel the Series. Follow the link in the show notes or go to lisalily.com slash Patreon. You can also find my fiction and back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalily.com. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2021. All rights reserved. 